And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Taking a look at Sunday's biggest fantasy storylines on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Hello everyone, welcome into Fantasy Football in 15, Monday, November 2nd. We have turned the corner now, or turned the calendar over on this episode, or this show, here at The Athletic. Our last show was still way back in October. Here we are, into November, comfortably into the second half of the fantasy football season, and now the second half of the NFL regular season as well. I am Michael Beller, joined by Derek Van Riper. DVR, start of another week. One more game, of course, still ahead of us here in week eight, but most of it behind us. we got plenty to talk about here on this episode. How you doing? Doing well, and uh, happy to be moving through this 2020 calendar year. Glad we only have uh, two months to go here. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's uh, going to be, I, I think, an exciting finish to the fantasy football <laughs> season and the uh, NFL regular season, and uh, just happy we're making it through, right? Uh, we've hit some speed bumps, but we are making it through. We're halfway home, and we've got uh, a lot of good football left ahead of us. Uh, not a lot of uh, waiver talk, it looks like, uh, going to be available to us here. Seems like a light waiver week, so we're going to stay away from that on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15, and instead look at some of the bigger news items coming out of Sunday's games. And from a fantasy perspective, at least from an actionable fantasy perspective, Biggest news, I think, Derek, is the coming out party for J.K. Dobbins. 15 carries for 113 yards in the Ravens' 28-24 loss to the Steelers. Gus Edwards had himself a pretty productive game, too, on the ground. 16 carries for 87 yards. He got the touchdown. Lamar Jackson, 16 carries for 65 yards. So uh, the Ravens did a very good job running the ball, but uh, still were unable to come away with the win. Steelers now in total control of that AFC North sitting at 7-0. and uh, But I ask you, Derek, we look at what J.K. Dobbins did, Mark Ingram potentially coming back into the fold for this team in Week 9. Do we think that J.K. Dobbins can at least be in a role in this offense where he is the lead back of what we know is going to be a timeshare backfield? I keep wondering if it can happen, and the usage, even without Ingram, was still mm -hmm. chopped up in a way where Ingram could be a non-factor, but Dobbins might be stuck sharing with Gus Edwards. I mean, this was a close game throughout. It was an important game, so I, I feel like that gives you some insight as to how the Ravens coaching staff kind of feels about their backfield. They trust everybody. At least they trust Dobbins and Edwards almost equally. I think you see Dobbins on the field maybe in more passing situations, so that gives them a slight edge if Ingram sort of gets pushed aside. But what are we talking here? 60-40 in terms of overall touches favoring Dobbins over Edwards and having a mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson who can just take off and run himself, or if they're running options like they were on Sunday, he can just keep it. That also kind of shaves away some of the potential ceiling. So I'm encouraged that we saw an efficient game from Dobbins, but I don't know if we're going to actually get more than what we saw in week eight from him unless something happens to Edwards as well. I feel like he almost needs two injuries or two absences 
in order to really take over this backfield in part because of the presence of Jackson. And I also wonder if part of this uh, great performance from the run game as a whole was also the Steelers saying, you know, we're okay with giving up some stuff as long as we don't give up the big stuff, namely to Lamar Jackson. And maybe that was part of a game plan situation that, again, could be duplicated by other teams. But it really is hard to get super excited, right? You see the numbers and you see the 113 yards uh, that Dobbins puts up and you want to get excited and you want to believe this is Miles Sanders from 2019 all over again with the rookie running back getting a larger role in his team's offense as it gets into the second half of the season. But it is hard to get there. And then you always have Lamar Jackson hanging over things too, right? I mean, Miles Sanders didn't have to worry about Carson Wentz hogging goal line carries or ripping off you know 10 carries for 115 yards of his own. That's just something that Miles Sanders never was going to have to deal with. And that's going to be there for J.K. Dobbins. So it's going to be a week-by-week thing. It's exciting this week. If you took advantage of some buys and some injuries and the fact that Mark Ingram was out and played him this week, then hats off to you certainly. But this is going to be something yeah, we revisit, I think, week after week, not something where we feel good about, at least not at this point. If he does this again next week and takes maybe another step forward, then we can talk about it again. But for the time being, this is a small step forward, not a leap ahead of everyone else in the Baltimore backfield for J.K. Dobbins. I want to stay in this game for our second story here, but look at Ben Roethlisberger and this Pittsburgh passing game. This is something that we've been trying to figure out pretty much since the Chase Claypool emergence happened a couple of weeks ago. Basically, what is the pecking order among this team's three fantasy-relevant wide receivers, Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Deontay Johnson? And you know, we got another check, uh, we got another data point there in this game. So uh, Chase Claypool, five catches, 42 yards, and a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster led the team in both catches and yards, seven for 67. Just one grab, six yards for Deontay Johnson. And we try to figure this out. We try to piece it together every single week. We know that this is going to be a productive offense, productive passing game. There's going to be plenty of opportunities, at least over the full season, for all three of these guys. But we haven't really seen even two guys have big games alongside one another. And it makes me wonder, Derek, is this a situation where you feel good about Ben Roethlisberger hitting his you know weekly projected numbers and the receivers are totally a crapshoot it's starting to feel like that more than anything else I'm trying to make sense of all of it I mean I think with Deontay Johnson health has been a factor for him on a couple of occasions this season so that sort of complicated the intentions of the Steelers offense a little bit Juju having eight targets seven for 67 and a pretty tough matchup I think is encouraging a couple weeks ago we were worried about him I think last week we were worried about Chase Claypool it kind of seems like it just moves around a little bit if everybody's healthy, in most matchups, I think this offense is good enough to sustain three. And we should point out, Eric Ebron had four for 48 and a score on five yep. targets. So he sort of jumped into that group of three, and it cost Deontay Johnson. So I think the question I come back to is, does it rotate based on matchups? You know, Do you look at these guys and say, they're all in the wide receiver two, wide receiver three conversation, week in and week out, but there's more bust potential as long as everybody's healthy, or was this unique to the Ravens in particular, one of the tougher matchups that we've seen for the Steelers really all season in terms of how effectively they can shut down opposing wide receivers. None of these receivers went off. It just happened to be a situation where Claypool and Juju were both targeted a lot more than Deontay Johnson, which in the games that Johnson's been healthy, that has not been the script at all. So I guess for now, I'm looking at Week 8 as a little bit more of an outlier, but I would say of the players that I have been 
wrong about this season. I've been wrong on both sides now with Deontay Johnson. I have had <laughs> expectations that were too low to begin the season and going into week seven, and I must have had expectations that were too high going into week eight. I think he's probably the most difficult player for me to figure out in the entire pool right now. I don't think you're alone with that, and I do think that even though this was a unique matchup for Pittsburgh, that this is going to be a situation where a lot of people who have any of these three guys are left uh, a little bit disappointed at the end of weeks where they felt like maybe their guy was a little bit more reliable. Uh, let's take a look at the Chargers backfield. This is a backfield we've talked about uh, quite a bit, but it's because it deserves a lot of attention. Crazy game with the Broncos pulling out a literal last play, last second win, uh, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter to beat the Chargers. Chargers 31 to 30, but it's the Chargers who we talk about. Justin Jackson back in command of the backfield, 17 carries for 89 yards, seven carries for 32 for Joshua Kelly. This is now two to one, I think, is the uh, is the leaderboard uh, since Austin Eckler has been out for this team with Justin Jackson, at least giving you two fantasy useful games. Really haven't seen any fantasy useful games from Joshua Kelly. And I think it gets us to a point here, Derek, where we are looking at Justin Jackson as someone who you can feel, uh, you know, low-end RB2, maybe a flex play with uh, buy still a thing for the next month or so. And Joshua Kelly, probably someone who you're not going to be comfortable starting at all. Yeah, with Jackson, we're talking about more than a 2-1 to one edge and carries in Week 8, a uh, 5-1 to one edge in terms of targets. I mean, that's a big, big difference. It's weird because coming into the year, I thought Kelly was the next guy up, at least in terms of being the most utilized back in the offense if something happened to Austin Eckler. He just hasn't done enough with his touches to justify being used ahead of a guy like Jackson. Uh, so at this point, I think what you see is what you get. You might be at a point where you could justify letting Joshua Kelly go in a redraft league. You might have to in more shallow formats where you don't have very large benches. On the other side, you know, Philip Lindsay coming off a concussion Goes 6 for 83 in a TD. Melvin Gordon, 8 carries, 26 yards. 6 receptions for 21 yards for Gordon. Is this turning into a Melvin Gordon isn't really startable sort of situation? I know the game script here was the Broncos playing catch-up. You mentioned the 21 points in the fourth quarter, but it has to be concerning when Philip Lindsay looks like he's just the more efficient back really in every facet of the game. I mean, I think that's really what the concern is. It's not even the game script. It's just that except for the times that Philip Lindsay was hurt, he's clearly been the best back available to the Broncos. And that's been true in every single game they've played. It's not like, oh, well, Lindsay was better here. Gordon was better there. Lindsay has been the best back for this team. And we're talking about a guy who's put 2,000-yard seasons together in his two years in the league. So I really do think you have to be concerned about Melvin Gordon, not just from a uh, efficiency standpoint, not just from what he does on a per-touch basis, but from that volume potentially going down. I think that's definitely something that's in the cards for him. And even the least confident Melvin Gordon drafter back in August, early September, I think could say to themselves, well, you know, I know he's not the best player, not the best per touch guy, but hey, their volume's going to be there for him. They signed him for a reason. They threw all that money for him for a reason. And now I think you have to really start to consider whether the volume becomes a concern with Philip Lindsay just clearly looking like the best back on that Denver team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Derek, let's take a look at another team that took a surprising loss, but a player we want to talk about on that team, it is the Tennessee Titans going down to the Cincinnati Bengals. The player who I want to talk about, Corey Davis. Has he reached totally no question about it? must-start territory, put together another big game on Sunday. Eight grabs, 128 yards, and a touchdown in that loss. It seems like all those draft bust stories are totally gone after what he has done this season. You're basically getting yardage or a touchdown, if not both from him, every single week so far this season. He had the injury, but he's over it, and I know this is an easy matchup with Cincinnati. We've seen plenty of receivers get going against them, but this is just another really impressive performance from a receiver who plenty of us, myself included, had written off before this season. Yeah, I think he's at least in the top 30 wide receiver conversation most weeks, in part because this Titans team gives up more yardage and points than we expected, and their offense, their passing game under Ryan Tannehill, continues to be better than a lot of us expected. I mean, I think even coming off a really efficient year from Tannehill last season, I had my doubts about how good this offense would be, especially in the passing game behind A.J. Brown. But Corey Davis, as you said, it's either yards or or to score every single week. You're looking at 12 to 15 points in PPR leagues. The schedule gets a little bit more difficult the next few weeks. He's got the Bears in Week 9, the Colts in Week 10, and the Ravens in Week 11. So there might be some situations in season-long leagues where you have a better option, I would say at least against the Bears and Ravens. But he's absolutely in the conversation week in and week out, which is something I would not have expected to say about Corey Davis when we went back to draft season in August. All right, a couple more things I want to get to here. We're running out of time, so let's try to get through them quick. How worried are you about Jonathan Taylor if you have him right now? Another game that if you uh, look at this score and you see Indy 41, Detroit 21, and you didn't watch the game, you would think, all right, this had to be a big game for Jonathan Taylor. 11 carries, 22 yards. Jordan Wilkins, 20 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Naeem Hines, a couple of receiving touchdowns. It's just not happening for Jonathan Taylor. No, it's not. I mean, the volume wasn't there. The efficiency wasn't there. There were situations where the game was close where Wilkins would show up around the goal line when it should have been Taylor. I mean, it was frustrating in every possible way. I mean, Trey Burton had a rushing touchdown in this game. So <laughs> I just can't I just can't figure it out. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's like under four yards per carry now 
for the season through seven games. Uh, we haven't seen him get heavy volume very often. I think week two against Minnesota, 26 carries, kind of an outlier for him. A lot of low teens totals now for Taylor. This Colts team, they really don't have stars on offense, but they seem to find a way to make it work, right? They mix and match personnel really effectively. There's not any one receiver or tight end that you really trust in any given matchup, and yet they find ways to put points on the board. They're 5-2. and two. It doesn't add up. It really doesn't add up, and I think they've got to come up and it's coming uh, sooner rather than later, but uh, they made me look bad from our show uh, on Sunday morning, the Athletic Cheat Sheet. I said I thought the Lions were going to win this game. Didn't quite happen that way for me or for the Lions. We'll revisit the Colts, certainly, next week. One more thing to get to here. We talked about Alan Lazard on Friday, talking about him as a potential stash as he's making his way back for the Green Bay Packers, and I think he just became a whole lot more attractive after the Packers' loss to the Minnesota Vikings, 28-22 was the score there. You've got Devontae Adams, just 53 yards, but three touchdowns. Robert Tunyon leading the team with 79 yards, and then not a whole lot there. And even the next two guys on the list for the team in terms of receiving yards, another tight end, Jay Sternberger with 46, and then the running back, Jamal Williams, 27 yards. Uh, just looking like Alan Lazard, this team needs him back as soon as possible. So if he is available in your league, maybe that is one of the few guys that we think about as being attractive on waivers this week. We can get to more. We'll get to more on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast as we got to wrap things up here on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Thanks so much for joining us. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Michael Beller. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, thanks for listening. Enjoy Monday Night Football between the Buccaneers and the Giants.